It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, On this fifth day of November, 2014, we're here with our co-host, Jay Basser and uh, Berta Simmons, and Stretcher Technician, he's out of Arkansas there, and Jennifer McToonan, uh, she will be our guest speaker today. She's from the, uh, Yale Law School. Uh, they're at the uh, Veterans Clinic, and we're certainly proud to have her on. Uh, how are you doing today, Jennifer? I'm great, and I'm really happy to be on this uh, podcast with all of you. Well, that's that's wonderful. We're we're really happy to have you on. Uh, it, uh, you know, because of the information you can provide by the Swift, uh, your different programs. Uh, you want to go into a little bit about the the law clinic and, and what all they do there. Uh, I know you uh, mainly work with the uh, Connecticut uh, uh, veterans, but you're, you've kind of branched out a little bit, it seems, and, and you're, you're taking on some of the others. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about the program there? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, So the Veterans Legal Services Clinic is one of the clinics uh, that's part of the Jerome N. Frank Legal Services Organization at Yale Law School. And the Veterans Clinic was founded in the fall of 2010 by Michael Wishney, who's the supervising attorney and professor at the law school. And it's one of only a handful of clinics in the country that's dedicated exclusively to serving veterans and their organizations. So since 2010, the clinic has handled all kinds of different cases for veterans. Uh, the one that I am, have been working on since, I guess, 2013, so for over a year now, is a class action uh, lawsuit for Vietnam veterans who have PTSD and received other than honorable discharges when they were discharged. And the reason we brought this class action lawsuit is because, um, well, we think that we, we, we have statistics that show that these veterans with PTSD and other than honorable uh, discharges have been discriminated against at the records corrections boards, that they have barely any veterans with this profile receive a discharge upgrade. Uh, so that that's cause for concern. And further, what, what makes this more of a problem is the fact that PTSD wasn't even available as a diagnosis until 1980. So in many, if not most, probably maybe even all of these cases, you have a Vietnam veteran who's discharged before 1980 uh, who is expressing symptoms and behavior consistent with PTSD, but isn't diagnosed with PTSD because it wasn't even recognized by the medical community until 1980. So they're kind of in this catch-22 where they have um, uh, the, the, they're experiencing the effects of having PTSD, but the military wasn't able to recognize that that was 
you know, what was going on with them. And uh, in these instances where a veteran is then discharged with an other than honorable discharge, this means that, um, you know, th that carries the weight of a stigma that's, you know, to employers, if they ask a veteran for, uh, you know, his or her DD-214, then, um, and they see that it's other than honorable, that, that can often be a bar to employment. It's certainly a bar to VA benefits, which is a, which is, has been a big problem for veterans. Um, so we saw this as an issue. This was identified as something that is affecting, we believe, tens of thousands um, of veterans across the country, uh, Vietnam veterans who fit this profile. And so we filed this class action lawsuit back in March of this year, uh, so a little over six months ago. Um, so that's a little bit of an intro. I can, I can give you an update as to where things are now, uh, but I hope that gives you a sense of the clinic, uh, the kind of work that it does, and specifically this class action lawsuit that I've been most involved in as a student law intern here. Uh, Bernard, do you have any questions? Um, uh, yeah, I could uh, write a book on, on this situation. <laughs> uh, Jennifer, uh, the uh, the lawsuit, the class action lawsuit. Uh, are you able to uh, certify the class with minimal problems through DOD records? That's a good question. Um, we actually have. There are a bunch of motions that are in front of the judge. Um, in Connecticut District Court who has this case, and we are waiting on his ruling on these motions, um, including, so we, we do not yet have, um, uh, we do not yet have the class certified. Um, and there are okay. sort of, an, an, like as I said, a number of motions in front of the judge. We're not clear, it's not clear to us. We don't know when he will rule or in what order he will rule on these motions, uh, but there's been a fair amount of back and forth uh, between oh. the clinic um, and uh, Department of Justice in, in moving this litigation along. Um, one thing I definitely want to highlight um, is that on December, on December, on September 3rd, rather, on September 3rd, um, Secretary of Defense Chuck Hagel issued supplemental guidance to military boards for the correction of military slash naval records considering discharge upgrade requests by veterans claiming post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and so this new memo has been issued, um, issuing this guidance signed by Chuck Hagel himself. And interestingly, the memo doesn't just uh, benefit, uh, well, we hope benefit, uh, Vietnam veterans, but it also, um, it, it's actually just generally for all veterans who have PTSD. The memo itself references that there have been petitions by Vietnam veterans to the boards uh, but this is this guidance is actually provides supplemental policy guidance for the boards for any veteran who comes before the boards uh, and and has a PTSD diagnosis um, or a, a PTSD claim for their discharge upgrade. So we we do not yet know how this uh, memo will be enacted. We don't know yet know how. Uh, what it what this will actually mean on the ground, what the experience of a veteran coming before a records correction board will be. Um, uh, uh, but it was a nice moment uh, to have the Secretary of Defense recognize that veterans with PTSD um, should have a little bit more consideration in front of these boards than they've had in the past. Um, and again, we don't yet know how this will play out. We, we The boards We've seen the worst of these boards 
through veterans we've spoken to and through the lead plaintiffs in our, the class action lawsuit and the experiences they've had in front of the boards. Um, but this could very well be uh, the beginning of something promising and, and fairer treatment for veterans. We, we just have yet, we don't yet know that. But uh, so we are, you know, cautiously, um, cautiously hopeful that this uh, memo will make the kind of difference that uh, we would like uh, it to. That, that's wonderful. I'm very optimistic about it because I've been around a long time and we've never uh, had anything uh, uh, of this nature happen uh, to, uh, well, as the article uh, says, uh, actually they quoted you uh, uh, at the New York Times. I posted this information, Gerald. I had it on September the 4th. Uh, and, and Jennifer just gave a, a very good condensed rundown of uh, what uh, the Defense Secretary uh, Hagel has uh consider doing. This is big. This is really big stuff. Um, one question I have, Jennifer, and I might be getting a, a little bit too forward in what you're talking about. Uh, did um, uh, Veteran Shepard receive an honorable? Did, did he receive a full honorable or was he um, given a general? He was given charge? a general. He was so given a general. John, I actually oh. worked on John Shepard's case as well. He was given um, general um, under honorable conditions, uh, which meant that he could then access, begin to access the VA benefits that had been denied to him for so long. Yes. Unjustly yeah, denied but... to him for so long. Um, and Mr. Shepard is, he his story, he, he has a great story. Um, and it's, it's, you know, to tell you a little bit about how the clinic operates, um, there's a vet center that's very close, the closest vet center uh, to Yale Law School. You know, when this clinic started, students would go to the vet center and they would do intake. They would sit and talk to veterans and say, you know, where should we have this veterans clinic at Yale Law School? What kind of legal issues do you have? Are there things that you might need help with? To try to get a sense of how the clinic could be helpful, what kind of cases they might want to pursue, um, really taking a, you know, a grassroots approach to identifying challenges facing veterans. And Mr. Shepard was one of the veterans who came to the clinic through the vet center, and they did an intake with him, and he talked about how he had been trying to get a discharge upgrade for more than 40 years and how he had been treated by the boards who, you know, basically dismissed his, his you know, applications out of hand and continued to deny him uh, uh, and continued to fail to recognize the fact that he had served honorably. And so the clinic took on his personal case, his individual case, and said, okay, we're going to help you prepare an application to the boards. Uh, we're going to help help you fight for justice here on this issue. And through that experience at Mr. Shepard, the clinic came to learn that there were lots of veterans, lots of Vietnam veterans with PTSD and, and OTHs who could benefit from exactly that kind of effort. And so from the individual case, from Mr. Shepard's individual case, came this class action lawsuit. And in the end, what happened with Mr. Shepard's case is that we actually settled it with the government. Uh, so it didn't, we didn't um, litigate it. We, we ended up settling. And Mr. Shepard got his general under honorable conditions. And it was amazing. It was really amazing. I mean, he had fought for that for so long. I think it was 44 years. And finally, wow. finally, uh, his, his honorable service was recognized. That, that's fabulous. That's why before the show I, I said I consider you a true hero and all the people that have been working so hard for that uh, situation for Mr. Shepard. It's just amazing to me. 
uh, when something this good happens to a well-deserving veteran. Uh, but uh, uh, would this apply only to uh, veterans with OTHs, or would uh, UD or DD veterans uh, possibly uh, be able to be given some consideration, too, depending on the circumstances? Uh, although I do know that UD and DD discharges, sometimes right off the bat, you know there's just no way, <laughs> you know, to yeah. fight it. But um, uh, you're focusing on OTH primarily? Yes. We, we yeah. yes. Um, Good. Uh, I, I understand. Yeah. OTH, the I, class action lawsuit is for veterans who have OTH. Um, okay. And that was, a you know, a decision that the team made when we filed the complaint in March uh, to to limit it to OTHs. Yeah. Now, I say limit, but we think that there are probably upwards of 80,000 or more Vietnam veterans who received this kind of discharge and who were likely suffering from PTSD as a result of their service when they were discharged. So, we, you know, it's Boy. not a small number. We think it's lots of folks. And if we've been getting lots of phone calls, actually, from veterans across the country, and if that's any indication, we know it's a lot of folks out there. Um, uh, and maybe gone. more yet to come. Maybe more, Jennifer. You know, who knows? Right. You know, because no, that's we're still right. at war. Um, and I just want to say, too, I... I, I, um, I've been very fortunate to be involved in this uh, and to have worked with Mr. Shepard since June of 2013, uh, but there were, uh, you know, a, a number of amazing law students who worked on this, his case, before I was even in law school, uh, and, there, and I am one member of a team. There are actually um, seven of us, seven student law interns currently on the team for the class action lawsuit. So I'm the one who gets to have this podcast with you this morning, but I represent uh, a group of um, lots of students who've been working and student, student law interns and supervising attorneys who have been working on this for a long time. So, um, you know, any credit that you give to me is really for the team and, and the folks who have been um, who have been making sure that, uh, you know, these these veterans have had their day in court. Um, and that's that's been a project that's been going on since at least 2011, if not even maybe even starting in 2010. So this was one of the first issues that the, that the clinic actually took on. So, um, and it's just been amazing to be a part of it and to know that, you know, we're building on the work of, of student law interns who came before us and that we've really identified something here where there's a need and, um, you know, we're, we're making progress. We, we feel like um, we, feel, we feel really good. Uh, and the response that we've gotten from Vietnam veterans tells us that. Um, uh, so we know, we're, we know we're doing something that's important and will really make a difference in their lives. And, um, you know, these boards, have to, these boards have to start treating Vietnam veterans with PTSD and other than honorable discharges fairly. They have to. Uh, and that's that's why we're doing what we're doing. It, it's remarkable. Uh, and all of you, uh, I, I imagine everyone in that team has the enthusiasm that you have. Uh, <laughs> yes, we, I mean, we all care a great deal about this. That's true. That is definitely true. Um, and we're fortunate to have, we have three supervising attorneys, um, Mike Wishney, who I mentioned before, who started the clinic, um, Jonathan Manis, and also... Um, uh, uh, Bethany uh, and we all we are very lucky that they um, that we have their supervision. Uh, so it's really a, there are ten of us on the team, including all the supervising attorneys. 
uh, Bethany Lee. So it's we're really we're really a big team, and uh, we we know we have a lot of work to do. Um, but it's it's as I said, it's an exciting issue, an important issue to be working on. Boy, it, it sounds very exciting. Have any of you ha had to have direct contact with the uh, BMRC uh, or uh, I mean CR? I always say that wrong. The Board of Military Records Corrections. Um. So at this point, we have so we filed this class action lawsuit in Connecticut District Court, and um, there are other teams who have interacted with the Records Corrections Boards. Um, we that very well might become part of this lawsuit. We're not we're not sure. Uh, one of the things right now that the judge is has before him is uh, the government wants to remand the five lead plaintiffs wants to remand their cases back to the records corrections boards. Um, we have oh. opposed that in part. Um, we support that in part and oppose it in part, so we're not sure how the judge will rule, uh, but it, it is conceivable that we could end up back in front of the records correction boards um, if the judge decides to rule that way. We just don't know, but we at this point, our this litigation has mainly involved the, you know, the Connecticut District Court and uh, opposing counsel, so Department of Justice. Um, so we haven't we haven't gotten to the records correction boards yet, but that is a possibility. Oh, uh, uh, I'm a claims advocate, and of course the word remand is not always a bad thing. It can be a good thing. It opens up a, a door with the VA for more evidence to come in. Uh, in a situation like that. Uh, uh, does the clinic ever have to appear at hearings in front of, of the uh, any of these review boards, or is this done electronically? Um, if our clients need to go in front of the boards, then we go with them. Wow. Um, wow. Yes. And, yeah. you know, one yeah. thing actually that we would really like to see happen is, you know, the DRBs, the Discharge Review Boards, which have a different statute of limitations, so Vietnam veterans have usually exceeded you know that usually yeah. you can't, if you're you're seeking a discharge upgrade and you're a Vietnam vet, you've been out of the military long enough where you can no longer go to the the discharge review boards. You need to go to the records corrections boards, um, and the DRBs actually have in-person hearings, uh, and the the records correction boards. It's almost they have the discretion to have an in-person hearing, but they don't. They haven't exercised that discretion, and um, one of one of the things that we would like to see if our clients' cases have to be remanded to the records correction boards is that they be granted in-person hearings, because we think oh. that makes a difference. And I, you know, I yeah. wonder what your thoughts on that are, what your experience is. But I think being able to actually get in front of the decision makers, just like you do in a court, um, you know, has a certain uh, you know, you're able to tell a story, you're able to answer questions, you're able, I think, to provide information in a way that can be more helpful to those decision makers than otherwise. Mm, yeah, very, very interesting. This is really exciting stuff, I'll tell you. Uh, through that process, uh, when the veteran uh, is successful, uh, uh, even with the, uh, like you said, I forget the statute of limits on the discharge review board, but but you're absolutely correct that often a veteran's only recourse is with the uh, board of military corrections. Uh, at what point, uh, Jennifer, uh, do do you advise the veteran to file a DD-149, or is that a part of their whole package once they win, 
succeed in getting an upgrade so that they can get a legal DD-215, which corrects their bad paper. Um, do you Does mean after sense? they've been successful? Yeah. Yes. I mean, after, well, I, I think if what you're asking me is, if after a veteran has been successful in getting their discharge upgrade, then they they absolutely need their revised DD-214. Where they right. they'll you know they'll want that official DD two fourteen with their new record on it. Right. That's okay. right. And that, that's yeah. that's yeah. And the, the, the statute of limitations for the discharge review boards it's fifteen years. So you must apply within fifteen years of the date of discharge to go in front of the discharge review board. Otherwise, you need to go through the appropriate board for the correction of military records. Yeah, boy, lots of good information, Gerald. Uh, I'll hang back, and you and John, I bet, have some questions, too. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. Uh, John, John, you have a question for Jennifer? i got a uh, comment or two. Um, so I guess it's more common now. A Vietnam vet uh, gets into combat and has a couple issues, and they decide to kick him out of the military, and uh, they... Uh, their biggest deal back in the 70s, 60s, were uh, assigning a personality disorder to the veteran and giving them an OTH and putting them out the door. Now, I've seen that several times here locally. So basically, this is a, it's a good thing you guys are doing because this class action should you know, cure a lot of cases like that. But my concern is for all the veterans who are Vietnam veterans that over the years, all these Asian orange diseases have taken over and uh, they've died of heart disease or certain types of cancers and things like that, and their families are left with nothing because of a bad discharge. Hmm. Um, we often find situations, yes, I mean, that's, that can be the case, where when if, because you have a bad discharge and other than honorable discharge, then it becomes, then uh, you know, because you don't have access to the VA uh, benefits, then even if you're suffering from the effects of Agent Orange, you can't access those yeah, benefits well, to help you with that either. It's really, you know, this discharge, this is what we, we found again and again, is that the discharge upgrade is really critical. Um, and it's it's the beginning of the conversation, right? It's, you know, you need to be able to access these VA benefits in order to address other issues that happen as a result of military service. And um, that's why we think this is so important. Um, and we've heard from veterans who, who think they've, you know, are suffering the effects of Agent Orange and um and their discharge upgrade their discharge status as you noted is is really a, a barrier to them receiving the kind of treatment that they should be receiving. Um and it's there's a lot of these issues kind of get rolled up together. Uh but the one place where we think we can help is by helping get the discharge status of veterans upgraded so that they can then deal with the other effects of their military service, um, like Agent Orange. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think it's a question of, you know, what, this question of how how does the military treat its veterans after they return from, you know, foreign conflict? And what are the ways that we support those veterans? And what are the kinds of injuries that we acknowledge and recognize and treat? And, um, you know, it's, Someone can have PTSD but be physically uh, fine. Um, but, you know, it's a wound. PTSD is a wound of war. It's just a hidden wound of war. And um, it seems we should be recognizing, uh, you know, that 
and and offering treatment to folks as well, uh, you know, for that. And and that's the point of this class action lawsuit is to enable these veterans who have suffered with PTSD to gain access um, to benefits and the recognition that their service was has been honorable and not other than honorable. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so I, you know, sort of a lot of these things get tied up, as you noted. We see it more and more every day in the veterans in the veterans' neighborhoods, especially with Hattie. You know, we've got a lot of members that are uh, come on that have received these discharges, and uh, they've fought fought for years to get upgrades, and this is it's like hitting a brick wall. And uh, so, <clears throat> you know, I've seen posts over the last 15 years. I can probably count on the, you know, there's probably there's not a whole lot of them, but there's a few that have ran into this issue, and I'm sure if I listen to the show, I'm pretty sure their eyes are lighting up right now, and they maybe have a breath of life that they can go after something, you know, so, but, uh, you know, it's all it, it's all good, and we appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I we have this um, phone number, and we have vets calling us, and it's, hard, it's been hard for us to keep up with the volume of phone calls, but we keep hearing, you know, this very similar story, and uh, I don't think that if you were 20 years old and being discharged and someone said, hey, you're going to have this other than honorable discharge, and it was 1972, I don't think, I think it's hard to say that you really understood what that was going to mean. Um, you know, yeah. and that's that's a story that we yeah. hear from veterans, that it's hard to, you don't, it's hard if you're fairly young, or even if you're not that young, to really understand what this, what a DD-214 with other than honorable on it is, is going to mean for you for the rest of your life. Um, and there's just a sense that, um, you know, this, it's more than just a sense. I mean, we have statistics to back it up. Well, you know, we, these boards have not treated Vietnam veterans fairly and have not allowed them to get discharge upgrades, um, have not properly recognized PTSD, and this is incredibly unjust. Um, especially given the effects it has over the course of a vet's lifetime, it's just, it's just, you know. They go one, go one step further. It's more than unjust. I mean, look at the guy, the guy that gets out and, you know, he finds out he has a uh, other normal discharge, and he goes to apply for the post office to get a job. You know, and when he uses veterans preference, next thing you know, they they look at him and say, okay, you're done. See you later. He can't get a job with the government or anything. You know, so. That's right. That. So yeah. oh, their lives are ruined. Right, and it's, it's their lives you know, are ruined. Pretty shocking, um, actually. And one of our lead plaintiffs, Conley Monk, there's a story um, about what he when he was in high school. He actually worked at the VA hospital in the kitchen as a dishwasher. But after he came back from Vietnam, because he was discharged with another than honorable discharge status and he had PTSD, he couldn't get his job back as a, a dishwasher wow. at the VA hospital. Why? Yeah, because he because of this because of his discharge status. So before Vietnam, he was in high school. He's able to work in the VA hospital as a dishwasher in the kitchen. He comes back from Vietnam, and he couldn't get the job as a dishwasher because of the bad paper that he now has. So to your point, um, you know, it's not just working at the post office, but there are real effects on employment, on life prospects, um, and it's. It simply should not be this way. I think um, this should go so further. So that's why you know we're 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 doing what we're doing. 
think they should go further and help these guys out doing something. You know, I mean, they may not get their job back 35 years ago, but they should be able to make their life better because this bad decision they made has ruined their life. Right. Well, they're not even able to enter the claims process uh, with bad paper. No, if you got bad paper, the first thing the regional office does, the first thing they look at is your uh, DD-214. They look at your yep. dates of service, and they look at your character of service. Once they see that you have a bad character of service, all bets are off. Sorry. See you later. Uh, John, i got a question for you. Um, uh-huh. Hypothetically, but but I know what's happened. Say that uh has an OTH, say they were kicked out, personality disorder, some other bull crap. Uh, they go to the VA, as you say, they file a claim. Uh, is that that eligible for a C&D exam? And the reason he's I'm not. wondering, huh? He's not. No. He's not ever, no, They're because not. see, the regional office wants him scheduled. They want, yeah, they want him scheduled an exam because he's got a bad paper discharge, and that's. So they would that, not even. That, right. They've got line element screen out elements is what they call it. You know, if you've got the so first they, thing you look at is your character service. If it's if it's the other than honorable, then you're dead in the water. It doesn't proceed any so further. Even, uh, I was thinking ahead. I'm thinking. Gee, what about that? I probably had the beginnings of IHD at that time from Agent Orange, but they don't even have a record of that, that they can get retroactive money under NEMR. I mean, they can claim it when their discharge is upgraded, but let's face it, uh, they don't even have a uh, rating sheet. Well, in a situation like that, Murda, in a situation like that, if they file a claim with the VA and they're denied because of a bad discharge, and what they need to yeah. do is if they get upgraded because of the activity that this young lady in the Yale Law School is doing, then they can go back under Nehmer and file that claim. Since they've already filed a claim and it was denied because of the discharge, the new discharge actually will act as a new oh, um, okay. precursor, yeah. and they can go under 3.156, the effective dates, to get their original date whenever they filed their claim. Because superb. that's uh, Okay. <laughs> that was superb, John. 38 before. <laughs> Three point one five is it one by six B or C? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is a very powerful regulation. Okay, that makes me feel good. <laughs> they, they can recover. In other words, they can recover a lot of retroactive. But they could recover megabots. They can recover all the retro. Yeah, why? Yeah. So that's an interesting situation. Um, and that will make. I don't care what you've been through. If you get the type of retro. You know, you're going to cry a little bit, but it's going to make you whole again. Right. Right. So. Well, no, nothing can really make any better and whole again, you know, <laughs> but well, it'll help. You see what that Ivy League school's doing now? Sorry, go ahead, Jennifer. We didn't mean to jump on you there. But. No, no, you all are more fluent in the numbers of these forms than I am. So, you know, <laughs> I'm happy that, uh, you know, your expertise is, uh, you know, I, I I, don't, I can't roll those numbers off my tongue like you can, so. <laughs> well, mine was done out of necessity. Yours is done out of an education, so. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's just, a, I mean, I'm amazed what you guys do. And if my son knew I was talking to a Yale attorney right now, I'd probably he'd probably be wanting me to go get him from school. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I could say it's really. I think we've been we've 
you know, we've worked we've worked hard on this. We've also been pretty pretty lucky. Uh, Senator uh, Richard Blumenthal has been incredibly supportive, and he's Connecticut's one of Connecticut senators, and he's been incredibly supportive of this. And um, I think he's, you know, yes, we filed this class action lawsuit. Yes, we have these con someone like Conley Monk, who is an incredible person, who has this compelling story about his service in Vietnam and his life before and after. Uh, and we have other, you know, wonderful lead plaintiffs as well. Um, so we have we have a really solid, you know, case. We have a, an amazing lawyers working on this. We also have the support of um, um, a lot of folks who know that this is an issue. And I think you can see that with some of the press that we've gotten. Um, and Senator Blumenthal, when we filed the complaint in March, he came to the press conference. I mean, he helped to lead the press conference. And he's been a big supporter of this. And Secretary of Defense Hagel knows that. Um, and that's uh, you know, that's been really important to this cause, um, to have the support. You know, it's, it's one thing to file a lawsuit in a court. It's it's another thing to have folks who really care about veterans recognize that this is important and needs to be addressed, and this is an opportunity to address it. And Secretary of Defense Hagel himself is a Vietnam veteran, which, you know, it's, he, 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 he understands. You know, you'd hope he understands. And um, this is a moment where I think a lot of, these different things have come together to really um, hopefully raise awareness of this issue and to, you know, help folks who have been struggling with other than honorable discharges and feeling like, you know, they had nowhere else to go after being denied by these uh, records correction boards again and again. And um, it's it's really a, a testament to this sort of an effort, a unified effort around this in a way. You know, it's, it's not just me sitting in this little room in the law school. <laughs> you know, there's 10 of us on this team. Um, uh, there's, you know, the support of, of people who care about veterans, uh, the, the support of Senator Blumenthal in his office. And, um, you know, I, I would, you know, Secretary of Defense, like I said, he's a Vietnam vet. And um, I think, I think I'd like to think this speaks to him in, in a certain way as a result. Um, and you know, it takes all these little, all these things moving in the same direction to get some change uh, on this. And um, and and it's it's you know, we 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 we're not done yet. Uh, we we are cautiously cautiously optimistic, but you know, we know there's a long long way to go. We don't we're not sure that these records corrections boards are going to just change the way that they interact with Vietnam veterans overnight. Um, and, uh, you know, we want to know that Vietnam veterans are actually going to be given the liberal consideration that uh, Secretary Hagel outlined in his supplemental guidance to the boards. We want to know that. We don't know that yet. So, um, you know, but but there's definitely, you know, some there's progress has been made. Um, and veterans across the country have reached out to us and let us know that this, you know, even that alone means something to them. Uh, what about the Boyer Act, uh, Jennifer? Have, have you guys had good luck uh, working with the Boyer Act? I mean, uh, getting information that uh, is not normally available. That is something um, the clinic has, in other cases, FOIA'd information, so the Freedom of Information Act, and a requested information. Um, and I know that in other, in other cases uh, that has been really helpful um to the to the clinic and to the you know to, to the clients in the in the law in the lawsuits and the policy matters that the clinic has been working on 
Um, so that's uh, a good, a really good tool for an advocate is the Freedom of Information Act and the ability to request that kind of information. Um, so that can be a really good tool, and it's definitely one that um, has been helpful in the past. Uh, we've had a lot of trouble, uh, it appears, with the uh, uh, people would request information under the FOIA Act. However, when they'd get it, uh, it would be uh, sanitized to the point it'd be useless. Either that, or they would say the information was uh, was not available. And um, uh, you you could uh, you're obviously getting better luck than some. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I I can't action. actually directly to that. I have not um, had the experience of uh, requesting information through a FOIA request and then seeing what that information looks like when it comes in. So I, I know the clinic has done it in the past. Um, I know that it can be a powerful tool, not just at the veterans clinic, but as a lawyer advocate in general. Um, but I can't really speak too much to that concern because I haven't had direct experience with it. But I think that uh, it Carol, has been a concern. <laughs> yeah. uh, Gerald, you can appeal what you, if you get something you don't like. Uh, I I appealed something and it took three years <laughs> to get what I wanted. I I use FOIA a lot, uh, but oddly enough, I sent a FOIA to the FBI about three months ago. They responded in 20 days, um, asking me uh, for a little bit more information, and I responded to them. And I have not heard a word yet. It's very unusual, uh, but it but it. Uh, I've had FOIAs uh, where I got information I never dreamed I would get. Um, and sometimes it would come faster than I even expected. So you can always uh, see if the VA is sending FOIAs to DOD or what have you, they're not probably going to appeal that. And I don't even know why the VA would have to use it. A veteran or any claimant can use FOIA to try and get uh, stuff from the DOD. And if they have a lot of classified stuff crossed out, you can certainly appeal uh, that, although you might not be successful. Uh, so you're taking another step to um, get closer to what you need. Uh, it, I don't know if that makes any sense at all. I've, uh, I mean, I've done that before, Berta, and appealed it. And then they just uh, send a letter, well, this information is classified. And... Uh, Therefore, well, not available. Uh, that's so, very interesting, uh, uh, and it happens. I mean, uh, the VA will say it's unclassified, but at the time when you request it, it, it becomes classified. Now I don't yeah. know what's going on with, the, with that. Yeah. But, well, I, I think claimants, Carol. I'm familiar with your claim, and there's many ways of getting information, and it, it, it doesn't pay to all this, re, you know, rest on FOIA. I mean, you could even uh, subpoena people. I tried to subpoena some doctors once with the VA. Luckily, uh, my claim was resolved without that, but there's a lot. I mean, I know your your claim has been longstanding, and it's absolutely ridiculous the time that you've waited for a, a decent decision. Um to uh, Conley Monk? Sure. Yes. Go okay. Right okay. Um, I, I'm, 
interested in what the uh, New York Times article quoted him uh, as to saying. Um, it was the Naval Discharge Review Board that he uh, wrote on this case, and I think this was maybe in August, yes. uh, Jennifer, uh, of this year. Um, yes. he, he was quoted, he said, I had two psychiatrists, one from Yale and one from the VA, both saying what happened was PTSD, uh, meaning the reason for his the bad paper. And then he said the board just said the doctors don't know what they were talking about. The doctors don't know what they were talking about. Uh, my question is, uh, does the uh, Naval Discharge Review Board have uh, people with medical expertise which <laughs> is support that with a rationale uh, when a veteran gets some crap like that? I mean, that's a really good question. So, um, yes, when I when I say that we are, you know, cautiously optimistic about what we've yeah. been calling the Hegel memo, um, I, we are cautiously optimistic because we know uh, just how how badly these boards are currently doing their jobs. Sure. And this story about Conley Monk is is the perfect example. Um, yeah. And what I can tell you is that as part of the supplemental guidance. Um, it actually offers some guidance on how the board should look at medical guidance. And it says that there's a little, there's a whole section on medical guidance as part of this Hegel memo, and it reads, I can read a couple parts of it. It says, little, liberal, liberal consideration will be given in petitions for changes in characterization of service to service treatment record entries which document one or more symptoms which meet the diagnostic criteria of PTSD or related conditions. And then special consideration will be given to VA de determinations which document PTSD or PTSD-related conditions connected to mil military service. Um, it says liberal consideration will also be given in cases where civilian providers confer diagnoses of PTSD or PTSD-related conditions. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, so there, this is in the, now this is what it, the supplemental guidance says. Um, we that, don't that know guy. how what the boards how the boards carry it out. We don't know what that looks like. Um, well, that, and that so, goes against Jennifer. That goes against the 2010 PTSD criteria, and that is very interesting because veterans in, today. In, in what way does it know, go against that? Uh, uh, under the uh, regulation 2010 mm -hmm. for claims. Gee, I wish I had the regulation in front of me. Uh, an initial PTSD claim requires a VAMH provider to diagnose PTSD. They will no longer take an independent medical opinion that the veteran has PTSD. It must be from a VAMH provider. Uh, about 600 of us advocates, lawyers, vet reps, uh, veterans fought this when it was in the Federal Register prior to the new regulation being developed is totally unfair. And I have a habit saying on the board that even if you go to Sigmund Freud, they're not going to accept his independent medical diagnosis. Um, uh, so you are familiar with the new criteria for PTSD. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Um, and this, I'm looking. I'm, I'm just trying to find the part where it talks about the diagnosis. Um End service diagnosis. Okay. 
Okay, it's, a, it's four pages, so I'm just paging through it real quick here, but I think I need to take a little bit more time. But it means that, um, so that's interesting. So uh, this, I'm looking at yes. this, this is a VA regulation, new regulations on PTSD claims from July 12, 2010. Yeah. And um, let's see. Um, I haven't, I, I, okay, I mean, I, I'll look at this, but this, so what you're saying is that this t regulation from 2010 requires that the diagnosis come from someone at the VA. Right. And uh, what you're saying is the Hegel memo is actually has a more liberal interpretation of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It could alter uh, this, this entire 2010 ridiculous regulation. I, I think it's absolutely absurd. Uh, of course, if a veteran has PTSD, uh, nobody knows more about PTSD than the VA. But right. we've had cases where veterans did not get a PTSD diagnosis. I've been uh, working with a veteran that had it uh, recently on that. Um, it, or they'll get a PTSD diagnosis, but then they'll say that it's not due to service. Um, hmm. So the Hegel memo... Uh, could really open a major can of worms and possibly rectify more than one travesty. Boy, I'm glad you um, brought that up uh, on this show. That is that is fabulous news. Well, let me say <laughs> this. I think that there's a limiting factor here. Um, the Hegel, this medical guidance that's part of the Hegel memo is specifically to military boards for the correction of military-slash-naval records um, who are considering discharge upgrade requests by veterans claiming that they have PTSD. So this is, I don't know, well, I, I guess this is this is a question worth pursuing. Um, this is a question worth pursuing, but this supplemental guidance is specifically for these records correction boards. Okay, so it's specific. But in the long right. run, it's that specifically gives... specifically for them, So, which suggests it, it, to me that it wouldn't necessarily um, change the 2010 regulation. Um, but it's no. very interesting that that regulation, I'm, it's, yeah, thank you for bringing that up and noting that difference. Um, I think it's, yeah. it, it, it's interesting to think about how these two could relate and how this newer policy, this more liberal policy, could help inform perhaps these 2010 guidelines and maybe, you know, who knows, have some kind yeah. of effect on them, as, as you noted. Yeah, maybe in the long run it could change uh, the travesty of the 2010 regulation in the long run. Um, mm. Something to really think about, though. Uh, I'm excited about everything that you guys are doing uh, because uh, a lot of these veterans, let's face it, gee, uh, a lot of them are, are, are senior citizens by now. That's right. Uh, We're dealing, uh, right, that's right. But if I mean, you've had an, uh, you know, a stigmatizing discharge for over 40 years, um, right, it's, we're typically hearing from veterans who are elderly, disabled, haven't gotten the treatment that they should have gotten, um, and we, there's definitely a sense of urgency because of the age of this population. Um, this is something boy. we need to address as quickly as possible. Yeah, boy. I always say uh, to veterans, uh, Jennifer, uh, the VA is not their enemy. Time is. Uh, huh. You know what I mean? 
because the claims today can take anywhere two to four years or longer, as Gerald knows. He's been, his claim's been in process for about 10 or 11 years now, I think. Right, Gerald? Uh, going on 13. Oh, wow. Gosh. Going on 13 years. Oh, boy. I, yeah, I have a hard time with the fact that claims take that long, I have to say. It's, um, well, well, there's reasons for it. Uh, the last claim I had took, uh, one of them took six, two of them took over six years. The reason they took six years <laughs> was because the regional office failed to read my probative evidence. Wow. Uh, and I, I was at the point I wanted to send them a, a caseload of uh, reading for dummies <laughs> or or send them pizzas and post my uh, claims evidence inside the pizza cover. And then I figured, oh, maybe I could get it printed on toilet paper. You know, <laughs> they all use the restroom. You know, you, you think out of the box. But, uh, of course, um, I'm in an unusual situation uh and I've been very successful in spite of everything bad that they've done to me. But I am, um, uh, you know, a, a fighter. You know, we have to fight back. And uh, no one wins a claim. Evidence wins it, you know, and that's the most important thing we can have. Um, right. It's difficult for uh, these veterans uh, coming forward that had OTH discharges. It's difficult for them to um, get that uh, evidence. Uh, for for uh, the BMCR or even the Discharge Review Board. I mean, uh, I'm hoping they're all computer literate and uh, can use Google because uh, I've helped many veterans get buddy statements by, simply by Googling names, you know? Wow. Um, baseball. I mean, I think like it that. is a challenge to put together an application for one of these records corrections boards. Um, and uh, it would be great if the you know, the Hegel memo had the effect also of uh, making it Boy. easier just by offering some more guidance to veterans who were uh, submitting these applications. Right. I think we, you know, not all the veterans we speak with, I, I'm not sure they're all computer literate. I think uh, yeah, some of them certainly are, uh, but it's it's challenging to get, you know, to get a psychiatrist or even someone from the VA to give you the PTSD diagnosis, to pull together the buddy statements. We do have this resource, this wonderful resource. Uh, the and I can and I do want to. In the I know we have about ten minutes left. I do want to share some resources that we have, and we are currently updating our website so that they'll be available on the website. It should be this week, but we actually have a discharge uh, uh, application. It's a discharge upgrade manual that was put together by the Connecticut Veterans Legal Center. And it's a veterans discharge upgrade manual that lists the steps to putting together an application, and it's really helpful. And we have since created, the clinic, we have created uh, a supplement to this that talks about the Hagel memo and the, what we hope will be helpful to veterans in light of this new guidance that was just issued in September. And... Um, yeah, so I I can these are available. These will be available on our website. I think maybe I could maybe send them to you and you could post them on your website as well. And then if listeners want to access them, they can go to, you know, hadit.com and and access this manual and the supplemental guidance. Excuse uh, Jennifer, me, Jennifer. Did, did, did just you, just a uh, second, Jennifer, oh. uh 
we can run over, so there's no rush on time. So you just take your time, whatever you need. We can run run the program over up okay. to twenty. Well, I just I definitely want to be able to have any listeners who want to access this discharge upgrade manual and then the supplemental the supplement to the manual that we just created for uh, veterans applying to the board. I definitely would like to make sure that listeners can access that. So I can email those. Here. I understand. Just take your time and and use as much time as you need. There's no rush for anything, Jennifer. Okay. 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 Thanks. Um, I will say something else I wanted to add um, before we we um, you know ended the podcast. Um, So I mentioned Conley Monk. I also wanted to mention the other four lead plaintiffs and the organizational plaintiffs. So Conley Monk is from Connecticut. And um, he served in the Marine Corps. We also have James Cottom, who's from California and was in the Army. Uh, George Siders, who lives in Georgia and was in the Marine Corps. Um, Kevin Murray, who is from Indiana and was in the Marine Corps. And James Davis, from New York, who was in the Army. We also have three organizational plaintiffs, the Vietnam Veterans of America, which is a national organization based in D.C., we also have the Connecticut State Council of the Vietnam Veterans of America uh, and also the National Veterans Council for Legal Redress, which is an organization based in New Haven. So we have five named individual plaintiffs and three organizational plaintiffs who have all come together uh, to, to bring forth this class action lawsuit. And I mentioned earlier how important it has been for the clinic to work with uh, you know, to get get support from lots of other places, including just a raising awareness of how important an issue this is. And so you have, you know, media folks interested in writing about it and Senator Blumenthal, who really cares about this issue and has been tremendously supportive. And also a national, the, the national organization for veterans, for Vietnam veterans, Vietnam Veterans of America has been critical to this. Uh, and the Connecticut State, you know, Council has been critical as well. And the the National Veterans Council for Legal Redress, based in New Haven, has done a lot of important work uh, locally and um, in the state for Vietnam veterans. And I think it's another example of how when folks can work together, when you can identify an issue and realize that it touches on a lot of a lot of people and a lot of different organizations and you can pull together and work together, you can create something like this class action lawsuit and you can gain the traction uh, that you know we've we've managed to gain so far. Uh, like I said, there's a lot left to do. Uh, we're not we're not done yet. Uh, in many ways, we've just begun. Um, but uh, it's it's because of these kinds of collaborations and, and working together and the recognition of how important an issue this is that we've gotten to this point in the first place. Uh, Jennifer, uh, did you by chance uh, join the Had It website? That way you can post whatever you wanted on there. Oh, or, okay. Or um, I'm on. The, I can look at the website. I didn't know I could join it. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, you uh, I posted your their team. website. Uh, go oh, ahead. Gerald, I posted their website this morning uh, just to remind everybody about the show, but I, w- I will be willing to post their website again in a special topic and uh, Jennifer, if you email uh, Gerald the the updates on any of this, uh, 
could send it to me an email, and I can okay, get that great. right on the uh, site in a heartbeat. Okay, uh, great. Yeah, I'm going to send you the um, discharge yeah, manual you it, and also the supplement. That's okay, or you could send it to me, and Gerald could give you my email address um, when we're off the air. Okay. Uh, because I think it's important for, uh, you know, people to have uh, all of this information. I, I have the shepherd story there, but uh, there was so much to that. And the website, Gerald, has a lot of the court documents, but that's legal beagles, a lot to pour through. And I think that's important to be on the website, too. So I'll, I'll be glad to make sure that we keep this uh, going in the interest of our uh, community there. Well, that's it, great. it certainly will. You know, we have over 11,000 members, Jennifer, so... Uh, wow. And uh, we have a lot more people than that that come through the site. Uh, John, do you have the numbers on that? Or roughly? Um, we've got approximately 11,000 actual registered members. That's actually a very small drop in the bucket as far as traffic. Uh, we have, uh, I think we're close to 2 million visitors a year. Wow. wow. It, it was definitely a, a one million two years ago, so that that does not surprise me. Yeah, so. These are hits. They may not join. Uh, they may not post, but they do read the information that they need. Yeah, the more Jordan people benefit from that, don't, they really don't join. They just use it as, as a roadmap. You know, yep. they read and research because, you know, that's what they do. They research. Yep. And uh, had it's a resource tool for them to research, and they can look at the forums. They can't post in the forums, but they can look and see, you know, they can find something similar to their issue, and it kind of gives them an avenue of how to proceed. So, I mean, it's a tremendous resource, and uh, especially for someone like, uh, you know, for, for Jennifer's cause and, and what they do, you know, they can, uh, you know, she can join Haddit and uh you can join under your under your professional under under whatever you want to join under. Just uh, just let me know, and uh, I can do some administrative stuff and go ahead and put you right on in, or put you in a different category. I guess we can say. Okay, great. Thanks for letting me know. Okay. Yeah, couldn't they even have their own uh, page or uh, a blog? Well, we, we could can keep a thread in Plains Research, Gerald. Just keep yeah. a thread going. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, latest from Yale Law School on, you know, class action or whatever it would be. Because, uh, you know, as well as I do, most people read the Claims Research forum and often ignore the other stuff, the DIC, the uh, GDIU, you know, because uh, their issues are, you know, belonging to Claims Research because they have a claim. So uh, unless we can find, uh, you know, uh, maybe cheaper if we want to make another separate forum. Uh, I've been there about 17 years, and we have grown so much that things get lost in those other forums. I replied to a question today that a guy asked two weeks ago that I never saw because it was in a sub-forum that I usually um, don't get into. You know what I mean? There's a lot there. Well, information, access to good information is the key to winning some of these claims, or actually any of the claims. Any of them, so, yeah. So, so uh, whenever we have people willing to share information and 
and utilize the information we have also better to have it there. Because yeah. uh, I don't believe there's a claim out there that it has not touched on. <laughs> uh, okay. So we cover, cover a lot of ground. Yeah, and we we have had OTH veterans. Uh, and I often wonder if OTH veterans, you know, they may read as a guest, but they might be unwilling to come forward with the story. Uh, but, uh, you know, they really should. Because, uh, this, you know, if we post stuff about this, we might generate uh, actual input from veterans going through the same situation. Uh, and, and, and one thing, you know, I, I want to make clear, the, the American Psychiatric Institute and everybody else, the standard medical community, knows that drug and alcohol abuse can be highly symptomatic of PTSD for anyone who has had a major stressor in their life. You know, so when I think of some of this stuff, in 19, uh, prior to 1983, the VA was definitely in the dark ages. Uh, then they started realizing that these veterans were coming back uh, with substance abuse problems because of what happened in the war. And uh, so it should be a no-brainer for some of these veterans to succeed in a, in a discharge upgrade. But then again, every case is unique. And there could be other factors. Um, I know a veteran with an iron ball. He is deceased due to alcoholism. And unfortunately, his wife never got DIC uh, because she told the VA, oh, he started drinking way before he even went to Vietnam. Well, boom, that was it. He was done for there. You know what I mean? Uh, Spouses have to be careful uh, when they give statements to the VA. But I would imagine that 99% of drug and alcohol abuse problems in any, certainly in any combat veteran, um, is indicative of PTSD and not willful misconduct. But, of course, that's something I guess the discharge review boards have to uh, decide. Yeah. Yeah. Serious business. Right. Serious business, boy. Uh, well, and of course, I see the VA. We're about out of time here. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer, is there any chance we can get you guys to come back on here in the near future? Um, sure. I mean, I think I've given you a fair amount of information. I don't know what else um, would be helpful. Um, I don't. I don't know. I'll have much more to add, but uh, you know, definitely, I would encourage your listeners to. Check out our website and see how the case is progressing and to check out the discharge upgrade manual and also the supplement to that manual in case they wanted to uh, go uh, and wanted to put in a new application. I would also add that when veterans have called us, we try to refer them to legal services in their area. And there's an organization, and I'll also send you this link to in order for you all to put this on your website, and it's called stateside um, legal, and basically oh, it's, an it's a website, statesidelegal.org, and it's designed to help military members, veterans, and their families find legal services, and you Good. can click on a link right on their website, find local help, and you can search for folks in your area um, who might be able to help, uh, who would 
hopefully be able to help a veteran put together one of these discharge uh, applications. So I wanted to highlight the, them as well. So they're available as a resource to locate legal services anywhere in the country. Um, and you can find them. You could also find there's a link to the VA, VA accredited advocates. You can search on the VA's website for them as well. Um, so there are resources out there, and what we're trying to help we're trying to help connect veterans to those resources. So I will not only send you those two files that I mentioned, but I'll also send you a link to the um, to this stateside legal website where veterans can seek out legal services as well. Is that still uh, affiliated with Kim Strickland's site? It was Stateside affiliated legal. with Pine Tree Legal Assistance. Oh, oh. So I'm not sure if that's the same thing. I I, I know them as having a connection to um, Pine Tree Legal Assistance in Maine. Oh, um, very good. Yeah, yeah. good. Good information, Jennifer. You gave us a whole lot in a recently short period of time. <laughs> okay, well, good. I'm glad. But yes, I mean, I, uh, I think I've hopefully I've given you a lot of information. But as this lawsuit progresses, if and if there's more information, I'd be happy to uh, join your podcast again. Oh, great! That's wonderful. Oh, wonderful. So. Uh... John, I want to thank you for coming on, and uh, Berta, I certainly want to thank you. Uh, you've asked some good questions here, yeah. and uh, uh, Jennifer, I, I really appreciate you coming on and and uh, sharing your information with the uh, uh, Had It uh, podcast uh, uh, audience out here, and and uh, it's really been wonderful. I tell you, you've You've uh, shed shed the light on a lot of things, and and your different programs that you use and, uh, is really valuable, and and uh, we'll be looking forward to see you on again. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's been our pleasure, and uh, you have a good day, and uh, uh, let's keep up the good work. Okay, great. Thank you. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Basher Show. Guys, are we still on? Uh, probably. Until the lady shuts us off.